We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 227. And at this point, Scott, I think we need to rename it the D.D. Gregorius Show. That's all it is. It's the D.D. Gregorius Show. He does everything. I guarantee he could podcast very well. Um, I, I hope he doesn't because he could probably take both of our jobs with what he's doing right now. He can do anything. I mean, bunting against the shift. He's the hottest hitter in baseball. The shift is on. And he bunts against it. Beautiful. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Unfreaking believable what this guy is doing right now. Well, Didi doesn't play by the rules. He's no, not, he doesn't. He, he's not the traditional number four hitter, and you saw what he did last year in the playoffs as the cleanup hitter. He's not the traditional number three hitter, and he's absolutely mashing the ball right now. So Didi doesn't play by your rules. He just does his own thing, and he, right now he's the best player in the game. Hey, Didi is the, the very prototypical three-hitter now, the new Didi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that is exactly what you want as your three-guy. The guy. patient you, Didi, the, the you, uh, yeah. on-base percentage-minded Didi. Yeah. The one who will bunt for, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people don't want their, th- their number three-hitter to bunt, but when you have an open base, how many times have we yelled at the TV or, or you know, when we're at a game, yelled at a guy to just lay down a bunt to get on base? I mean, that's Didi saw the opportunity. And, uh, and took advantage of it. It's just it's awesome to see when you see a guy that is just clicking on all cylinders do something like that that is just one of those small little things uh, that every fan in the world appreciates. It's, it, was, uh, it was a tremendous day. Another amazing night 
for Didi Gregorius. And it's been about, what has it been since he was moved up to the, the number three spot? Like a week at this point, right? When we saw Stanton, quote unquote, demoted down to the cleanup spot. And then you get yeah. those, you get the lefty bat of Didi in between Judge and Stanton. And that's really when the offense and the team took off. Five game oh, win yeah. streak. They're 14 and nine at this point. Um, but but it just has seemed like a different team these last five this last week pretty much I and I I trace it back to when Didi went to that three hole Didi went to the three hole the weather broke and actually got better that's when they started playing well was that first that you know the uh, what was that Saturday over the weekend that was a nice day and they just started clicking I don't know you know it could have been just the fact that they as a team started off a little slow we had some guys there were some storylines out there with the whole Stanton thing that was kind of covering um, covering over anything good that would happen. Uh, Sonny Gray still continues to be a freaking negative storyline. But, you know, the positive storylines really started coming out. Judge was was going all, has been going all year long. And then Didi just kind of took over. I mean, you know, I, I think one of the big things is that because people don't expect it from a guy like Didi Gregorius. And then he goes out there and is doing these. I mean, he's, he's hitting a home run every single night. I know because I'm giving away a t-shirt every single night. Uh, See, this happened this last time too when you... Uh, I know, with A-Rod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went on a stupid streak. Maybe, maybe. It's, I'm just saying. Uh, it's good luck when, when Bronx Pinstripe selects a t-shirt time winner or t-shirt time initiator. That guy yeah. just goes off and, and bankrupts you. Right. I know. It's uh, it, it's happened now two, two for two. So um, I thought, you know, look, Didi's going to hit like 30 home runs on a, on a really you know good year. We can handle that. No, Diddy's going to hit 40, 50 home runs this year, probably. <laughs> I saw uh, this was uh, two nights ago, so it's probably even even more at this point. But someone, you know, the on-pace stats when you've only got right. 25 games. So it's always ridiculous. But Didi was on pace for 59 home runs and 199 RBIs. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, it's if he keeps doing this every single day, then he will uh, he will obliterate that. So the and guy I is insane. And I'm not, you know, I don't think he is a 59 home run hitter. I don't think anyone thinks he is. But as far as an RBI guy, I think he can be an RBI machine because he puts the ball in play. And we know that pressure situations, whether it's a lefty or a ready on the mound, whether it's the wild card game, whether it's game five ALDS against Kluber in Cleveland, this guy has ice water in his veins. So he's not going to feel the pressure. So as an RBI guy, I think Didi's legit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've seen no moment is too big for this guy. It's almost when when the big moments are there, when there's guys on bases, when he really locks down the focus. I mean, he does it every at-bat now, but especially in those big moments, uh, he, he has a, a different type of mentality, a different type of approach, and he's super aggressive. And, it, you know, he doesn't miss. He does not miss a lot. One of his things, I know we looked at those numbers on, on balls missed. This is another one of those analytics. But n- balls uh, put into play that are... Um, uh, strikes and when he sees a pitch that he likes he has just been doing damage to it every single time it seems like so he's not missing often at all you know with uh with 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 pitches that he could do damage to Mm -hmm. yeah his contact rate in the zone is one of the highest in the league he's upped his exit velocity numbers this year and that's why we've seen a bit more of the extra base hits and, and the power from him he's up to nine home runs, 29 RBIs, and I, he leads the league in OPS with a 1.303 <laughs> OPS, which is just, it's laughable, laughably good numbers. And I, I think to that, that at bat he had tonight, 
on Wednesday in the eighth inning where it was a lefty on the mound. I, I think he was down in the count uh, one, two or Oh two. And he battled backed and walked. And as much as we love Didi last year, Didi probably does not walk in that situation. He, he probably makes out in some way, some way, shape or form, but the, but the Didi we've seen this year is he battles and then gets himself back into an at bat and will take a walk. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting move by the twins. I mean, it's pick your poison at this point with this lineup because you have a lefty on the mound. You walk Judge to get to Didi to set up a double play, <laughs> but you're you're walking a guy to to get to the hottest hitter in baseball at, the, at this time. Um, but yeah, he's seeing the ball really well, and that's that's one of the that's got to be one of the biggest contributing factors to his success this year. He's just he's really seeing you know the pitches that he wants and the pitches that he doesn't want, and and the difference is that he's laying off those pitches rather than being too aggressive outside the zone. So. You know, again, like we've said a thousand times, just another step forward in the progression of Didi Gregorius. Uh, so, of course, with all this Didi hype comes Didi hot takes. And I don't know if you've seen them, but the Didi is better than Jeter hot takes out there. Yeah, there's too many people putting that, that out there. Like People need to relax. OK, it's yeah, he's a very good player right now. OK, Jeter has, you know, a whole lot of rings and was literally the, the, the captain of the New York Yankees. I don't even need to justify that answer. Actually. Yeah, you don't even, need to. I don't yeah. even know why I'm saying this. Why am I going you. on a list here? It's it's ridiculous. So it's why let's all let's just appreciate both of the players for what they are. Yes. Uh, Didi in the in the current state of what he is, because it's it's fun to watch and it's uh, he's out of his mind right now. So hopefully he can continue it. And maybe we can have that talk in, in 15 years. Right. I'll talk Didi, to you in 15 years about that. If Didi's still hitting third and raking in 2028, yep. then we can have that conversation. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I, I'm starting to feel like one of those back-in-my-day guys. I think I'm, I've finally reached that point of my, of my baseball life is where the back in my day, like you did, you don't know what Jeter was in the late nineties kind of. Yeah. He, you can't even run through into the crowd today because there's a net there, you know, yeah. there's, there's things that that, that play wouldn't would even just happen. Have the checker, the checker, Jeter would just had the checker face print on him from the Yeah. Net. Right. It would have been a soft landing. He wouldn't even be able to get to the stands. Bounce I mean, right things off like there. that. It's a, it's a different type of, uh, look again, the it's people a who are saying that argument. are utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. If you're saying that, stop right now. Stop saying it. And who knows? Maybe with today's juice ball era and the launch angle and exit velocities and all this different stuff, Jeter would be a 30 homer guy in today's game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who knows? But quite possibly. So uh, just for fun, I was thinking, I was looking back because, you know, on Twitter, you can search back onto some of your old tweets. So I was like, what was I tweeting about Didi Gregorius in in April and May of 2015 when he first came over to the Yankees? So my first ever tweet mentioning Didi was, hey, Didi, no pressure or anything, dot, dot, dot. And then a a couple days later, I tweeted, Didi couldn't hit a knuckleball if you gave him a million swings. (laughs) Then I tweeted, that Didi decision was so dumb, I couldn't even comprehend it enough to criticize it. Well, that must have been a base running blunder. It was. Early on, he had a a whole bunch of those base running mistakes, uh, rounding second base. He got into some pickles. Yeah, he had some base running issues in the beginning. Yep. And then the next one is my personal favorite. Well, I guess my over-under of .5 home runs for Didi is broken now. So that must have been when he hit his first Yankees home run. And then one of the last ones is, Didi's going to get run out of town if he continues this. (laughs) (laughs) Fun to go uh, back down memory lane. He's going to get run out of town on people's shoulders at this point because the dude is, uh, you know, he's becoming a freaking uh, legend in Yankee Stadium right now, like the way he's playing. You know, he's got a. The, the thing about him is that he, uh, you know, he's not doing this 
as as just another player. Like this is the guy that did take over for the aforementioned Derek Jeter and is doing it now also in the postseason. He's having big moments and big hits. So like this guy, even though they have not won a championship yet, I mean, granted, still early in this whole rebuild situation, but he's on the path um, of, of doing some great things in, in the Bronx and in pinstripes for, for everybody to remember uh, him as one of those guys. So he's, he's on the right path. And I know we've mentioned this before, and 95% of it is what you do on the field. So Didi's got that going for him. But he also has the off-field stuff where he does the post-game tweets. So he's yeah. very present to the fans, especially the younger fans, which Jeter never was because social media wasn't around then. But even if it was, Jeter wouldn't have been on it. He would have been a very closed, uh, closed-off guy. Kind of like been like judges today. Judges today. Although, I mean, you get Judge doing the Pepsi commercials and stuff like that, just like Jeter did the Gatorade commercials. So Judge is definitely more on that that off-the-field Jeter aspect. But Didi, Didi's got that, that electric personality. So... Th- I, I think Judge is still the most popular player on this team, but damn, Didi's a close second at this at this point. Yeah, Didi's definitely got the because of the social media aspect. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of younger fans that that can relate to him in that sense. I guess um, Judge is on there occasionally, but he's got everything going. Really, I mean, the dude is he's he's phenomenal off the field. I mean, he's a he's a good he's a good person uh, and does good things like charitably as well. Uh, and then, you know, he, he mashes on the field. So that's, that's exactly what you want from your guy. And he's, he's got the full package right now. And here we are, the Yankees through, what was tonight, their 23rd uh, ball game, leading the lead, league with 142 runs. And by no means do I think they've clicked on all cylinders, yet they're leading in, at the end of the day, the only offensive category that matters, how many runs do you score? Yeah, but at the, but at the same time, if you list make the list, I and mean, we sent out a uh, uh, an image that Dom put well, uh, a tweet out on Yankees podcast about what they're leading as of today, um, Wednesday, home runs, RBI, slugging percentage. So like they're they're hitting all the categories when you're talking about weighted on base average. Did I get that right? Weight, weighted Woba. runs, Woba, Woba, and WRC and- plus the nerdy stats. All right, those these, they're leading in in, in, uh, in those important numbers as well. So they, look, they're hitting everything. They're, <laughs> they're, they're leading everything. in the stats that actually matter, runs. They're leading in the sexy stats, home runs, RBIs, slugging percentage, and they're leading in the nerdy stats. Gotta love it. There you go, making everybody happy. And early in the season, because um, we saw, we've get we're we get uh, some Red Sox fans in, in our mentions uh, on Twitter, as as you can imagine. And they tweet us pictures of the standings right now. And yes, the Red Sox were off to a much hotter start. They, uh, even though they lost three games in a row, um, they're still in first place. And and you get the well, who's in first place? And I get that. But when it's early in the season and your team is leading in a lot of these stats categories, wins usually follow that. If you if you get what I'm saying, where if we were talking about July and we were tr- hanging on, well, our offense scored more runs than yours. Well, how many wins do you have? It's more important once you have a larger sample size. But when you're 20, 25 games into the season and you can see signs of this team starting to click, I think the wins are going to come. There's no doubt the wins are going to come. There are there are uh, a handful of losses that should have been wins this this year already that you can identify right off the bat. So, you know, there's and and it was because. There just was a, you know, the, the clicking was not happening yet. The, the guys were not going 
Um, plus, not to mention, we have a, a brand new second baseman. We have a brand new third baseman. We had half of our team injured. Half of them are still injured. Our first baseman isn't even around yet, but the guy who's taking his spot right now is trying to Wally Pip his ass because he's playing out of his mind. So there's a whole bunch of new things happening within the last week uh, that wasn't going on early in the season. And I, and I feel like the Yankees have, uh, have started to turn that corner in the sense like, hey, these injuries are happening. They've happened. But guess what? They're not, they're not going to uh, affect the way that we go about our games, and they're not going to affect our production because the guys who are taking their spots right now are freaking mashing. Yeah, the guys you mentioned, Tyler Austin, he's got five homers on the season, had another huge night on Wednesday. He's forcing his, his, the hand of the Yankees to say, even when Bird comes back or when Jury comes back, like, you can't send me down. Look what I'm doing for you. And then you have Andujar, who had the seven games in a row extra base hit streak, tying Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio. The, the, the names that trio is just fantastic when you think about Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, and Miguel Andujar. No one could even say his name until a week ago, and that guy is in the same sentence as Joe D and Mickey. And then Gleyber Torres, who's now got hits in three straight games. So the bottom of the order, seven, eight, nine. Or I don't know what Tyler Ross was hitting tonight. I was hitting six, but the bottom of the order is so tough now. It's a full lineup, and it grinds you down. It wears you out. Like with uh, Berrios on 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 Tuesday, that guy was having an amazing season coming in, and the Yankees just flat wore him down, got him out of the game, and then pummeled the bullpen. That's one of those things. You remember the early narrative when Aaron Boone was talking? We were looking for little uh, little punchlines for Boone and what we can look for. Control uh, control the strike zone. That was one of his his big narratives that he wants this team to do. And you're talking about grinding out pitchers, grinding out at bats to get these guys deep into counts to get their pitch counts up. And that's what we're doing. You have you have very very good hitters up and down the lineup now. With Glaber Torres at uh, at the bottom of that lineup. Glaber Torres is a complete player. I mean, you're starting to see now the way he can really approach uh, uh, an at-bat and the way that his swing is just smooth. And, you know, he's going to be a guy that hits for, for average. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's a, um, you know, a perennial 300 guy. He's that type of player. So when you have a guy like that and then Anduar, who has just been red hot uh, along with Tyler Austin, like, yeah, these you're breaking down these guys. And uh, obviously, you know what's at the top of the lineup. So... There's nowhere to there's nowhere to there's no soft spot anywhere. Nowhere to hide right if you're a pitcher. Yep. You can't unless take... ta- unless Neil Walker is in the game. That's <laughs> right. it. Right. You can't take a break. You can't take a break if you're a pitcher, and that that's mentally grinding. The Yankees uh, are second in baseball with pitches seen per plate appearance, four point one three. So that that also goes to the fact that they're they're running up pitch counts out there. I mean, it's like imagine if Sonny Gray were facing the Yankees lineup. Imagine that scenario. He'd have two hundred pitches by the third inning. He wouldn't make it out of the first <laughs> inning or maybe second inning it, it, the way he's going. It would not happen. It's ridiculous. And uh, another thing that I noticed about Glaber, once he got that hit on Monday, you could see the weight just come off of his shoulders. Yeah. It was only, was it seven at-bats that he didn't have a hit? But yeah. you could tell he was, he was getting a little anxious up there. So I was, once he got that hit, he started to relax. And he's made a lot of nice plays in the field. Uh, the tag he made on Tuesday on that, that Sanchez throw that was sailing towards right field, and he, he came off the bag, jumped, and tagged the runner trying to steal all in one motion. That was a, that was a filthy play. Yeah, it was a great play. Um, he's, he's looked good in the field. He had one little, one little hiccup uh, last night when mm-hmm. with throw, uh, Gary Sanchez throw, throwing behind Sanchez on first base. Throw. Yeah, um, but he just tried to place the tag a little too early. 
Um, but yeah, he's looked really good. And and you said after that after that first hit, he he finally like calmed down. It seemed like, and you could tell he was. I mean, he wasn't hiding it either. You know, he was he was very open. The fact that like this is this is uh, something I needed to to get past. Uh, and once I get past it, you can kind of find your legs and then relax a little bit. And we're starting to see what type of player he is uh, at the plate. So I'm really excited for him. I really am. I think he's going to be a very good player. And um, and then defensively, you know, defensively, one of the things I saw today too, he's got he's got a quick glove and and a quick uh, transition for when he's turning that double play, and he's got a strong arm. So I think he could be a really good defender, uh, especially since he's what a natural shortstop. So I think second base is going to be uh, a good spot for him. And you're seeing the whole team start to have fun. Judge was messing around with Sanchez in the dugout, giving him the silent treatment after Sanchez hit the two home runs on Tuesday. And then he faked out Aaron Hicks with the the jump celebration in the outfield after the win. So the whole team's playing looser. That's what happens with wins. I mean, it's not breaking news, but it's just fun to see. Didi and Glaber have their own little dance yep. uh, at the at the end of a, at the end of each game, and they're doing it as uh, celebrations, and they score too. I love it. It's uh, it's perfect. You know, it's it's bringing the new guy in immediately, saying, "Hey, you're part of this team. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter where you were or when you got here. You're here now, and uh, and you're one of us." And that's what it seems like. This whole these all these guys, and I love the fact that a lot of them played together in Scranton or in Trenton. Some of them even in Tampa, for God's sakes. And, you know, they just all get along, it seems like. It seems like that dugout is just so freaking tight-knit, up and down, um, that it would be really tough to disrupt that. And that's one of those things I want to keep an eye out for, you know, when guys starting to get healthy. Like, how are you going to find roster spots, and how is that going to affect the team chemistry? Yeah, two-thirds of the lineup has played with each other in, in Scranton or Trenton or one of the, the lower-level minors in the last couple seasons. Yeah. And that's you, that's the type of thing that you can't find in any metric anywhere. I mean, that's that's something that you have a comfort level. You have guys motivating each other who know each other, um, you know, just know the way that they play. There's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, intrinsic things that happen when you have guys who have played together for a long time. And um, I think that's important. I think it's just as important as a lot of a lot of the uh, the on the field metrics that you see. I think it's what really leads a team to greater success. Perhaps the biggest or the most positive development of the week is that Tanaka looked good. He had a bounce back start on Monday. Yeah, no, he did look good. Uh, and we talked about this last time. We're baffled by the amount of fastballs that he threw, right, from his uh, his first outings. And it definitely seemed like that was a, a focus of, um, of this particular start. I mean, he threw a lot more fastballs, what, 29% looking at the numbers here, um, and then yeah, mixed so- in the rest of those pitches. And he works off of that fastball. 29% fastball, four-seam fastballs, 8% sinkers, which is two-seam fastball on Monday. Prior to that, prior to his start on Monday, he threw only 16% four-seam fastballs. Yeah, so it was almost for, double. So from 16 to 29. And it was 92.4 miles an hour was the average velocity, but he was locating it. And the most important thing, and this is what we've been saying for two straight podcasts, he showed the hitters that he was willing to throw it so they couldn't just sit on slider splitter. And what you saw was off-balance swings, a lot of weak contact, and he got even more swings and misses on his off-speed stuff. So the numbers on that, 17% swings and misses on his slider on Monday night. Prior to Monday night, only 12%. 31% swings and misses on his splitter on Monday night. Prior to then, only 23%. So the fastball got him more swings and misses as well. It's You can't just be a slider off-speed pitcher. Like, this is not... Baseball's been going on for 120 years. We know this at this point. Yeah, and 
you know, all of these numbers make a lot of sense. If you're locating a fastball, I mean, this was exactly the problem with Dylan Batances. If you're locating that fastball, and especially with Tanaka, because he's so he's so good when he's down in the zone, that if you don't have that fastball and you can and you can place it, you know, at the bottom of the strike zone, then the rest of your stuff is not going to be effective. You're not going to get the swings and misses because guys can lay off it a lot easier because they know it's going to drop. They know they know that 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 is not a uh, fastball out of your hand. But if you show the fastball, if you can locate that fastball, then out of your hand, it might be a fastball. And they that's when you start getting guys looking foolish against Tanaka. And that's when you see the really, really good Tanaka. And he had some calls that the umpire was not calling. I mean, the, he could have finished that seventh inning with a, yes. a strikeout in the lower corner. He just wasn't getting a lot of those corners on the given night. So so what do you think the change was? Do you think he just looked himself in the mirror and said, I'm going to be run out of baseball if I don't start throwing fastballs? I'm going to need to test it at some point. I can't keep hiding from it. No, I mean they, it had to have been a game. It was a game plan that they went into it, and and they, they they definitely game planned this. You know, you you have to throw more fastballs uh, to work off of them, and, and we'll see the success in the other pitches. I don't know what the mentality was before. I think that's the bigger the bigger mystery is why he went away from the fastball. I think he's um, afraid to throw point. it. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not going out there saying he's afraid to throw well, it. I don't it think but he, statistically, he still throws it. He still throws it mid nineties. He, he, I mean, it got it has up nothing to, to do with velocity. It has nothing to do with velocity. It's statistically over the course of his career, it's been his worst pitch. He gets beat the most on fastballs. So I get that he's not his best pitch is splitter, and his second best pitch is probably his slider. So I, I get that, but I think he was just afraid to get beat. I don't. I think he didn't want to get beat. I think he saw what he did in the first half of last year, and he said, "I'm not going to give up another twenty home runs by June first. The problem with that mentality is, to me, that doesn't make sense. It's because, counterproductive. Well, it's also, it's common sense. If, if you're a, a pitcher at his caliber and his level, and you have a pitching coach and a catcher and all these guys who are the best at their, you know, of the, of the best in the, in the pros, know damn well that if you don't throw that fastball, the rest of the pitches will not have the same effectiveness because they work off of each other. So I, I, I'm, I'm still not, I, I can't go as far to say he was afraid to do it. Maybe the feel wasn't there. Maybe he just wasn't able to locate it as well. Maybe it was part of the game plan. They were, they said they didn't think he was, he had to throw that many and they were, someone was, there was just the wrong game plan. I think that is probably more, uh, more to what the actual issue was rather than him being afraid to do it. Because I got to believe that that guy has confidence going out on the mound every five days or every six days when he's out there. Be curious to see how he follows this up against the Angels in his next time out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be, you know, that's a, a good lineup as well. So it'll be, um, it'll be interesting. I, I, we we got to see him put a couple together, right? Yes. That's, that's when he starts getting going. He, he actually builds off of himself. The momentum is big. So uh, going against Atani, I got to believe he's going to be motivated. Oh yeah, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to that matchup. Yeah, um, yeah, because we saw even in the first half of last year, like that start at Fenway Park, where we thought, okay, maybe Tanaka finally turned the corner, but but it wasn't. It was just it was just a fluke in the first half of the year. So let's hope this wasn't a fluke. Uh, Sabathia second start off the DL. He looked really good as well. Um, he only had 82 pitches through six innings. He it was easy for him. Uh, no earned runs, actually. It was an error on Judge that led to the only run for the Twins. He gave up two hits, only one walk, four Ks. He had the Twins hitters off balance all night. He had that that phenomenal backdoor breaking ball to right-handed hitters that when that pitch is working for him, he's very, very difficult to hit because he gets a lot of soft contact. Yeah, I mean, he was really good. That's the, I love I love seeing the fact that he's completely healthy. It doesn't look like, uh, again, you know, we're looking. We knew this, that when he came off that it wasn't, an issue according to CC, but 
you know, you want to see a couple of starts. You want to see him go through the motions uh, on a second start after you go um, get off the DL and make sure he's he, he's all good. And I think that that also plays into why they pulled him at that point. I mean, I know it was only 82 pitches, uh, got through six innings. So, you know, I, I think at that point, Boone is just like, uh, you know, let's 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 not not mess around with anything. Uh, I got to believe it towards the end of a start when you have an older guy like that, that's um, a bigger guy like him, you know, your, your chance for getting injured probably increases at some point when you, uh, when you're out there later in the, in the game. So I got no problem with them pulling them. Oh, I actually want to talk about that because before the game, Boone said that there's no leash on CC tonight in the first start off the DL, he was between 70 and 80 pitches. He wasn't going to go over that, but in his second start, there was going to be no leash. So then if there's no leash, why pull him after an easy, easy six innings and 82 pitches? I mean, I still think it's, 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 you're looking at what your eyes are telling you and, and he well, your eyes are telling you go back out for the seventh inning, at mm-hmm. least go well, batter to batter at that point. Well, the thing is with CC is that, you know, one, we know that when you go back and look at the numbers from what, what was it, uh, Last year, when the third time around in, the, in an order as well, the numbers were decreasing. I gotta, I'm not sure what they are this year if, if we're still seeing a trend like that. But, you know, depending on who you're coming up against, I don't know. Boone saw that he's, he's about playing with house money at this point. He doesn't want to mess around with anything. The injuries are where they are. Let's do it. And, and you, we say no leash. But what does that mean? That doesn't exactly. mean he's going to go and throw what does no le- No, I know. But what does no leash mean for CeCe? Does it mean six innings? Probably. Does it mean 80 to 90 pitches? Does it mean until we don't want him to be pushed through the third or- third time through the order? Like No leash for CeCe is not the same thing for no leash for Severino. I understand that. Yeah. But but that was about as easy as a start as a guy could have. Well, let's, you know, maybe... Again, trying to trying to keep him out on top. You know, sure. I don't know. The it ba- thing is, kind is of that Boone, Boone's protecting his guy on that one for, uh, for sure. It kind of backfired, and the only reason that we're bringing it up is because Batances went out there and crapped all over himself. Uh, we've seen this a couple times from Batances, and D-Rob had to clean up his mess. Uh, Batances did have two good outings prior to that. It's just you could tell from two, three pitches into that first batter where he was – fastballs high and away sliders up or curveballs up in the zone it's just nowhere close well and that's the other thing is that he hadn't pitched in what five days so Boone wanted to get him work uh and figured this was a good opportunity to bring in Dylan Batances and uh you know do you want to do you want to take him out uh take CC out you know one or two at bats into the seventh inning if he gets in a little bit of trouble because then you can't really bring in Batances right we would be killing him for that yep. we're not giving Batances a clean inning so I'm not you know, killing you him look- for this no, but what I'm saying is we would be killing him for that if we came in with guys on base. You don't bring Dylan Batances with guys on base anymore. It's like it's like the biggest no no. You don't you just don't do that. He can't handle it. He one he can't hold guys on at all. They'll just run bases like Kevin Pillar, and um, you know, given it, putting him in a in a position to succeed. That is that's what I saw Boone doing. So I I, I like what Boone's doing. It didn't work out with Batances. Obviously, he was all over the place. He was bad. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully he can rebound. But yeah, he was good before that start or before that outing. I just be I I just do want to know what it means for no leash on CC because if he's going to be a five to six inning pitcher, which is fine, I think he can be an effective five to six inning pitcher. Well, then we know that we have to build that into the five. But that rotation. is what he is. That's what he's been. That's what we know. He yes, is. that's exactly what he is. Okay, fine. So you got to build that in though. And if you know you're going to need to get three to four innings out of your bullpen when a CC start. Well, then you can't have Sonny Gray going out there and ref- like 
continuing to not be able to get past the fourth and fifth inning on the next night. That's just going to absolutely kill your team. They got away with it tonight. The offense picked him up. The bullpen picked him up. But Sonny Gray needs to get his shit together eventually. Yeah, it's uh, it's like Tanaka from last year. It's 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 really uh, an issue. I mean, there's there's I don't really understand what's happening with this kid because one, first of all, if whoever's talking about personal catchers, well, you could throw that out the window because Romine was 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 catching today. He walked five guys in four and two thirds, gave up a, a home run in the first inning to Sano. You know, I thought maybe like something like that because he he got bit by Sano early. That was the only hit. Um, it was a two run shot. I'm like, maybe this will fire him up. Something like this. Like that was Sano just hit a, you know, hit a, hit a ball, tip your cap and go out there and pitch. Like it wasn't walks. It wasn't a whole bunch of, I mean, there was a walk first, but, um, there's you know, always is, a walk. I was looking for some fire. I'm looking for some, something, uh, some kind of positive sign from this guy. And I'm just not seeing it. It's, uh, he's, he's, he's not able to throw a, a put away pitch. The Boone gave him every opportunity to get through that fifth inning. And he couldn't do it. They had uh, they had two runners on, and he was going after um, the the his last batter basically, and he walked him. And it was a good at bat. Uh, there were a lot of foul balls, but he couldn't put him away, and eventually walked him. And Boone took him out. But Boone gave him every opportunity to get through five innings. And it's it's with the numbers that we're seeing, uh, five more walks in four and two thirds innings, six hits. He every start he's got two runners on per per inning. Yeah, with no outs usually. It's so unsustainable. And it's so it's so painful. It's so devastating to watch as a as a fan. I'm sure it's it's demoralizing as as the Yankees players playing behind him knowing that okay, you just put up a, you just got back into this game. The Yankees get a run in the first innings to to climb back into the uh, uh, into the game um you know, cut the deficit in half and then boom, here comes more base runners for for Sonny Gray on the mound. You just can't get momentum like that. Well, and I mean, they even give him a lead and he comes back out there and just, you know, does, does the Sonny Gray thing at this point because that's, that's apparently what it is. And just, you know, d- says, oh, I got a lead. Might as well get him back into this. Got to get, those, uh, gotta get the, the other team back into the game. But, you know, the, the thing that's so frustrating with, with him, watching him, is that you see in isolation. I said this on the postgame video. Like, you see spots of, of like, wow, that was a hell of a pitch. Uh, from this guy, but he's not been, he's not able to like, string any of this together. I mean, he's, he's painting the corners with 94, 95, great pitches, like very, very good pitches. And then he goes out and he got a, uh, a strikeout. I think it was Castro who struck out, uh, but it was a 85 on hour changeup that was up in the zone. Castro had a, it was a bad swing. Any, any other batter up there who, who was relatively competent <laughs> would have destroyed the pitch and it would not have been a strikeout. And those numbers would have looked even worse. So you know, he was making mistakes at bad times, wasn't able to put guys away. And then when he, he, even when he would go up in the count, which was not very often, he would lose a guy and, and fall back because he was trying to make a pitch that was too perfect. Um, and O'Neill was talking about that on the broadcast, who, by the way, Paul O'Neill has been phenomenal this year so far. Yeah, he stepped um, up his, he did some research in the offseason. Yeah, I think. he's been really good. Uh, but, you know, talking about not, not putting away a guy and wasting pitches, and, and that's what he just continues to do. You know, he's, he needs to, I think, pitch to contact maybe a little bit more. His next start's going to come against Houston in Houston. So, oh boy, <laughs> well, at what point do the Yankees say, "Okay, you need to get your get you know get a mental break"? So we're skipping a start the next time out, or maybe a phantom DL or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. At some point, it's gonna there's going to be something here. We're gonna we're gonna get a dead arm situation, or you know, 
something something that's going to have to um you know let him uh, find his find his chi or he needs he needs to find his center <laughs> this cuz he's freaking lost find his chi <laughs> uh well so is this going to who catches him next time Romine or Sanchez it doesn't matter Sanchez who cares it's whoever's up if Sanchez needs a day off then maybe Romine will but it doesn't matter it, it really doesn't i mean look he walked five guys today couldn't get through five innings i'm not sure we're out of the woods i'm not sure we're out of the woods with this personal catcher thing in sunny gray i mean i don't know anybody who has a leg to stand on at this point well it's just ridiculous because anybody anybody with a brain in two eyes could see that the catcher was not the reason sunny gray was struggling no sunny gray is a bad pitcher right now sunny gray is not executing his pitches that is the problem right maybe there is something with him and and sanchez I, i still think there was a you know a weird dynamic just by picking up body language but it's not affecting the results at this point. I mean, I, I just I can't I can't say that. I have nothing to go off of based on numbers. He's just been so bad. It's when a guy is so bad, I can't attribute it to to a catcher. Like maybe if he was there was a couple of miscommunications and then he got himself in you know one big pitch that could have made the difference between getting out of a jam or didn't, and the catcher and the pitcher not being on the same page would have made all the difference. Then I could say okay, maybe if Romine was behind the plate, that wouldn't have happened. But like you said, when it's five walks and six hits and four and two thirds innings, I could be back with there his catching. favorite guy. There could be a bucket. There could be a he could be throwing to a traffic cone and it wouldn't make a difference. No, it. it I mean the results speak volumes of what the situation is there is no there is no situation and there should not be and he 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 has a i mean it's just he if he says that he has a guy that he likes throwing to well then you know maybe you should change that maybe you should change your mentality because you obviously don't like throwing to roman very you know all that much because if you did you probably would have had a a better outing so that you could have supported that personal catcher thing so it's a it's a non-issue at this point Yankees afternoon getaway day on Thursday going for the sweep of the Twins. Thank God for the Twins because the Yankees have just demolished the Twins for 20 straight years, it seems. Yeah, uh, I, I, I can't remember when the Twins were, uh, were very good against the Yankees. It's, it's left my memory bank. Monty made one start against them last year in Minnesota. Six innings, six earned runs. So that was bad. Looking for – he had a good start his last time out. Actually, I believe his last two starts were good for, for Montgomery. So looking forward to that. Then the Yankees travel to the Angels. Going to be some late nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The pitching matchups right now, Severino versus Andrew Heaney, uh, Tanaka versus Garrett Richards, and then CC versus Tyler Skaggs. And then, just quickly, we've got Jeff Fletcher coming up. Scott, you spoke to him. He's from the Orange County Register. So we're going to be previewing that Angels series with Jeff. Stay tuned for that. Final thing we want to say is more Angels stuff. Get your tickets for May 26th, 7 p.m. game versus the Angels. That is our next event. For 68 bucks, you get a game ticket in Section 205 or 206. Pre-game party at the Bronx Brewery, which includes one free pint, a T-shirt. There's going to be a food truck there. We're going to be there. A ton of people are going to be there. Get your group tickets together so you can get a discounted rate on your ticket. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Again, if you, um, I have some people emailing me about tickets they've already purchased, so I'm going to be making sure that they get their, uh, the guys who organize the groups get their ticket. If you have five or more, you get half off. If you get 10 or more, you get your ticket for free. I buy your ticket. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun at the brewery as well. And Jeff, Jeff Fletcher was, was awesome. We, uh, we talked a lot about um, Otani, obviously. I mean, that was the, the natural 
way that the conversation was going. I wanted to find out what was going on with Otani in Los Angeles. I know us on the East Coast have an extremely large East Coast bias, rightfully so. We don't know really much that happens on the West Coast. Um, so got to, uh, got to do some digging on them and, uh, and see what's going on with the Angels. Cool. Stay tuned for that, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Andy Dufresne was standing in the rain after escaping Shawshank coming out the drain. And these days you ain't holding me back. I'm flowing these raps. The painting ain't a thing when the music in my brain. All right, guys, we have a series coming up with the Angels coming this weekend. We're going to be traveling out to the West Coast. So we wanted to learn more about the team and find out what's going on out in Los Angeles. Uh, I'd like to welcome on Jeff Fletcher, who's the Angels beat writer for the Orange County Register. Jeff, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Good. So you guys have had a pretty good start to the season. It seems like there's a there's a lot of buzz with the with the Angels this year. I know there was a quite a bit of a, a difference in roster with what Billy Epler has done um, and brought in a lot of veteran guys that that seem to be working out. So what's the general feeling, I guess, around the Angels camp? Well, it's been kind of a strange season. For the first two weeks, they basically could do no wrong. They started off thirteen and three. They scored the most runs in baseball, best run differential in baseball. Everything was going great, and then they came home and they lost five out of six. They scored almost no runs. They played terrible defense. Their starters were terrible. It just all went to hell. Uh, and then they went to Houston, and uh, they got a pretty big win in the first game of that series. So they think everything kind of got itself a little bit back on track. But I think in the big picture, they look like a team that's that's probably going to be around uh, 88 to 91 wins something like that. So that probably has them in the wild card uh, conversation for sure. I don't think they can win the division over the Astros, but they've got a pretty good lineup. Their defense is very good and their pitching has got some potential, but so far it's a lot of guys that have been kind of inconsistent through their careers. So that's kind of the, uh, the, it's going to decide which way they go. What was the, you know, the, the pitching is, is interesting and we're obviously going to talk about Otani quite a bit. Um, but this, this past week, there was the blister issues with him. Uh, the Angels got swept by Boston and then two of three from the Giants. So you, they started off against Houston well, but how do they come out of uh, you know, a week like that after starting out so hot? Just kind of business as usual and, and staying on the grind? Or what's the mentality of the team? Because it seems like they do have a, a, a pretty good veteran clubhouse. Yeah, I mean, it's too early in the season for guys to really get freaked out over, over a bad week. And, you know, everybody has a bad week. You probably wouldn't even think about it so much if it were in August. You know, if you lose five out of six one week, it's just, all right, that was a bad week. Uh, when it's the beginning of the season like this and it, it turns you from, you know, looking unbeatable to looking like you can't win a game, you know, fans probably get much more freaked out about it than the players do. Oh, there's no doubt about that. There's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent a fact that the fans freak out way more. Um, if you ask some fans, the season is over after a, a bad stretch in April. Uh, but so Otani, big news, obviously the, the angels won the Otani sweepstakes. Uh, a lot of people thought the Yankees were the leaders in the clubhouse. Um, it, it seems like the relationship with Billy Epler after he went over to Japan quite often when he was working with the Yankees as the, the, the um, director of pro scouting really paid off. And I guess they had a, a very good relationship with, um, with Otani. And that was kind of how the Yankees found out that the Otani was not really interested in coming to New York. It was, was because of that relationship, I guess. So talk about Otani and just kind of the, the buzz uh, surrounding with the team and him and, you know, Japanese media and kind of the whole, the whole package so far. Uh, well, first of all, Billy Epler never actually met Otani when he went to Japan, working for the Yankees. 
he just scouted him a lot. And so he had a lot of knowledge of, of his career over there and, and other things of Japan. And so I think that might have been kind of a, something that, you know, when he talked to Otani, when they finally met in L.A. in December, you know, he was probably able to share a lot of, oh, I remember this game you pitched. And, sure. You know, I, I went to eat at this restaurant and all that kind of stuff. That that might have been really what, the, uh, what pushed him over the top. And Billy, you know, as you guys know, he's just a very personable guy. and He can, you know, convince anybody of anything. So, uh, But it's been a little bit uh, crazy. There's, uh, you know, 30 to 100 media, extra media from Japan around every day, depending on whether he's uh, playing or hitting or pitching or, or doing whatever he's doing. And, uh, you know, it's really... It's it's really a fun thing to watch just because it's different. You know, it's not just like when a, a Darvish or Tanaka comes over and they're, you know, a great player, but they're just doing the same thing that American players have done. What Otani's doing is something totally different, and it's it's really interesting every day to kind of watch it evolve and like, well, how's he going to do this? And how's he going to, you know, he's had he had an offer last night, and now he's not going to play for three days. So how's he going to adjust to that? All these things. It's really interesting. How much doubt was uh, around his abilities after the spring? Did you, did was there a, a sense that there was a, a little bit of a panic on, on how he looked in the spring, or, or something that everybody thought he would just figure out? Uh, within the Angels, I don't think there was any doubt. Mm-hmm. I think that that the, those guys know what they're looking at, and they can see talent regardless of what your batting average is, and they understand, you know, when you give up uh, cheap hits or when you you know, it's just not your day. I mean, it's spring training. Nobody pays any attention to spring training. The, the more you hang around baseball people, the more you know how kind of pointless spring training is. Right. So the Angels put like zero uh, importance on the way he performed in spring training. Outside of the Angels, you know, fans, scouts, uh, people with other teams, they were kind of thinking, oh, well, he's going to be a bust. He's not going to hit. Me, from watching it every day, from sort of a, in between those two perspectives, I thought there was no question he was going to be able to pitch just because I figured that's what his strength was all along, and he still showed the stuff. You know, you're throwing 99 and you got a great splitter, you're going to be able to pitch no matter what your ERA is in spring training. The, the hitting, though, which I was skeptical of before spring training, that sort of reinforced to me that he was going to have a hard time hitting. And still, in the long run, he still may have a hard time hitting just because guys are going to adjust to him and it's a hard thing to do when you're not doing it every day but so far he's he's been he's been amazing as a hitter uh you know even taking the time off he hits a lot of tough pitches he hit a home run off Corey kluber uh he's been you know getting some walks he's been getting singles i think he's hitting 350 or something like that uh he's got three homers he's been uh he's been better than anybody probably could have reasonably expected as a hitter so far does management talk about the plan with him? I mean, obviously they go into the season with, with a, a plan throwing him once a week, giving him days off to hit. Is this something that's, that's fluid and going to change? Because, you know, from, from what we've been hearing, he's kind of been pining to play a little bit more, uh, getting, getting get more at-bats. I don't know how accurate that is, but is this something that's a fluid situation? Um, I mean, they had a, I remember they had a rain out, I think, on Sunday when they were trying to pitch him on, uh, on Sunday. So he's pitching. So he pitched during the week against Boston. Like things like that, are they are they making adjustments to his schedule? Or are they trying to keep it relatively regimented? Uh, well, I think for his pining to play more, I think might have been a uh, translation issue. I think he was basically saying that hopefully, uh, as I prove to them, you know, that I can do this, they will 
ask more from me, uh, and I'll be ready for that. Okay. I think it was sort of what he was saying. But, uh, you know, they are sort of monitoring it as they go. I don't think the changes are going to be that quick because we're still talking about still April mm-hmm. of year one of six years that they got him. So it's going to be a very gradual thing. They really want to see what he can do and not break him, so to speak, because they look at this as like a really kind of unique circumstance that nobody's been through before. Nobody knows how this is going to go. I think basically the things they're committed to is he's not going to pitch on less than six days rest. So that makes once a week. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to hit the day before after he pitches. Those are kind of the rules so far. I think the uh, the one that's more likely to be broken or changed is that he might pitch on five days rest at some point. Uh, I think that they're really going to be pretty firm on the hitting the day before after he pitches because, you know, pitching is what they need most from him. They got a lot of good hitters. Their pitchers are a little thin. So, you know, if if they're going to lose him as a pitcher in order to have him get four more bats one week, that would be a disaster. So I think they're probably going to be pretty uh, firm on the, uh, the not hitting the day before after he pitches. The blister that he got this past week, was this something that had come up in the past or was this a, a new issue? And do they see it being... Uh, something that's concerning down the road. I know, and for everybody who's listening, we're recording on uh, on, on Tuesday, and he's pitching tonight versus, uh, versus Houston. Yeah, he's kind of had blisters throughout his career off and on in Japan, and he said most of the time it's not a big deal. He just keeps pitching, and he doesn't even miss any time. He had one stretch in 2016 where he didn't pitch for about uh, six or eight weeks, I believe, because of a blister. He does not think that this is, obviously, since he's pitching again, doesn't think that this is that severe. But, you know, I think with blisters, it's kind of like walking across a frozen pond. Mm -hmm. You don't know if it's all the way frozen until you've gotten all the way across. (laughs) So I think with him, until he gets all the way through a game and is fine, we're not going to really know how the blister is. Yeah, it's crazy. It seems like these blister issues have been popping up in major leagues. Uh, At least you're hearing about them a lot more recently. Um, You know, we had... Uh, the the issue with David Price when the Yankees were playing him as well it turns out that it was more of a, a non it wasn't as much of a blister issue but a non feeling in the fingers I don't know I've, I've I don't remember hearing about this in the past uh, with a lot of these these guys blisters but I can only imagine once you have a blister on your pitching hand that it's it's difficult for it to go away and I know that um, Aaron Sanchez had a lot of issues with that last year on the on the uh, Blue Jays yeah I think you know the thing with Otani that sort of weirdly helps him is if he has a blister, he's not going to be able to pitch very well. Right. So there's not really going to be any reason for the angels to like push it because he's just going to probably be pitching badly. So there's no reason to have him keep pitching. Uh, you know, if like, if there's another guy who could still be effective with the blister, you might keep him out there to get some more innings. And then the blister gets worse. I think that that's not probably going to happen with him just because it's going to be clear. You know, it was pretty clear against Boston that his splitter was not working. And if he doesn't have a splitter, he's an entirely different pitcher. So the splitter wasn't working, so there was no reason for him to keep going out there because he wasn't getting anybody out. So, I mean, he could he could go dramatically one direction or the other, whether he's got the splitter or not. I think, obviously, from what he's done in Japan, most of the time the blister does not affect him and he's got the splitter, but, you know, we, we just have to wait and see. So you mentioned earlier that you were skeptical of Otani, the, the hitter. Is that... 
what you'd say at this point is more impressive, the fact that he has come out and hit so well. And like you said, take taking a, a guy like Corey Kluber deep, is that the, the more impressive of the two? Because maybe the pitcher, uh, the pitcher Otani was more of a, uh, a given. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you talk to major league hitters, everyday players, and if they're only playing three days a week, they complain about it. How am I supposed to get my timing? Right. How am I supposed to keep my swing when I'm only playing? You know, this is, this game's too hard to come off the bench and da, da, da. And so here's a guy who's who's built in taking three days a week off hitting, and he doesn't just not playing games. He doesn't take a whole lot of batting practice, if at all, on those days. So for him to still be able to to square up major league pitching when he's got that kind of break is, is very impressive. And the other thing is in spring training, one of the reasons he was bad was because he had this leg kick and literally like the second to last exhibition game, they're already in LA. They're playing at Dodger stadium. Almost the season is almost ready to start. And he finally, they convinced him to stop the leg kick. So he just keeps his front foot on the ground. Was the leg kick something he had in Japan? Palmers. Yeah. I mean, in Japan, obviously, there's, you're not seeing as much velocity. Sure. It's probably your timing is not as much of a, of a problem. Here, you know, everybody's throwing harder. They're throwing inside more. He just couldn't get his timing with the leg kick. So he basically just ditches it, cold turkey, and becomes like a much better hitter, like hmm. a drop of a hat. That in itself is, is fairly remarkable. Yeah, I'd say so. I'm making those adjustments. That's, that's definitely something uh, I, I have to assume that one of those guys that was uh, maybe helping who's got a very quiet lower half uh, is Albert Pujols. I mean, he doesn't have much of a leg kick. Uh, he, he's one of those guys who just drives through the ball and has one of the purest swings uh, you can, you can see in baseball. He's almost at 3000 where, and we got the 3000 hit watch going on, uh, cutting to uh, Albert Pujols at bat soon enough. Maybe, maybe he's going to be uh, within a stone's throw when you, with the Yankees play him. How has uh, Pujols been aging over this contract? Is this uh, is this something that, when you're looking back at this contract, is this something they would do over again? Uh, I don't think they would do it over again. I think that it's uh, they got a few good years out of him, and they got a few kind of average years. And then last year was was pretty bad. He drove in a lot of runs. He was a pretty good hitter with runners in scoring position, but beyond that, he did not provide a whole lot of value. And uh, I think he's been a little better this year because he he's gotten healthier. He he's had surgery two winners in a row and this past winter he didn't have anything so he was able to lose some weight he definitely looks better moves better legs are stronger but he's still you know 38 years old right and uh he's he's just kind of clearly lost some uh some things he's still got that you know inside of him that kind of how to hit and the the natural swing and all that and that carries him through but just physically kind of the uh the pieces are starting to fall off and uh you know, they've got three years left after this one, and it's it's hard to imagine what that's going to look like. And plus, the other thing with all this all this Otani stuff, you can only have one DH right. at a time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this this Otani thing works now because Pools is able to play first base half the time. And Otani DHs half the time, Pools DHs half the time. Next year, is Pools going to be able to play first base half the time? The year after that? The year after that? So, you know, that's what you kind of have to wonder about the whole Otani hitting thing is, at some point, you know, maybe they have to make him a pitcher just because there's no place for him to, to be in the lineup. And there are no conversations about him playing the field at any point? No, I mean, when you, I can't even imagine that working because when you look at what he's doing, you know, 
on a day-to-day basis just to be a hitter and a pitcher. I can't imagine throwing in yeah. defensive work and all that other stuff and standing out there on the field for nine innings. I mean, that, uh, that would just break the guy. And I don't think he had any interest in doing that either. And I've heard from uh, from some of the people with National League teams that met with him, and they kind of got in the room, and they're like, why are we even here? It doesn't sound like you want to play a position. So right. we don't have a DH in the National League, so it's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I didn't see how a National League team would even come close to signing him because of that. Uh, it just seems like it's just too much. And like you said, the, it's the you know you just think about the practice, getting the reps in for these guys to, to get their work in on, uh, on days that are – um, when you're not playing or before and after games, it's just too much. It's, you can only fit so much in. Um, Mike Trout is obviously the one of the best players, if not the best player in, in baseball. It seems like this guy gets better every year. I don't know how that's possible, uh, but it, it, he looks like uh, he's, he's leveling up once again. How, how is he looking? Obviously, he's got to be a, just a lot of fun to watch uh, as, a, as a ball player. And also, how does he handle the Otani getting most of the attention? Because it doesn't seem like Mike Trout really uh, needs a lot of attention. Well, I mean, Mike Trout is going to be 27 years old this year. Mm -hmm. So that's when guys still get better. So just because he started at a super high level doesn't mean that he just stops getting better. Uh, A couple things that I've noticed this year that are specifically improving is his, his defense. He's always been like a kind of a spectacular player, but he didn't get like really the, the good jumps, uh, you know, like a Kevin Kiermeyer, Byron Buxton, and those kind of guys get. So he never really, defensive metrics-wise, never really rated, you know, in that elite level. He's worked really hard on that. He's still not quite to that level, but he's gotten better. He's kind of moving up the ladder a little bit. And the other thing is uh, his, his contact rate has gone up significantly. He's swinging at less balls out of the strike zone. He went uh, in spring training 44 straight plate appearances without striking out. Wow which uh, his, in the regular season, the most he'd ever done was like 28. And the way I look at it, it's got to be even harder to do that in spring training because you're seeing a lot of pitchers you've never seen. Obviously, you don't have your timing yet because it's just starting. Um, you've got some minor league umpires sometimes. Uh, so to do that, I think was pretty significant. And as the season's gone, he's, you know, he's continued those things. So he's the best player in baseball, hands down, no doubt about it. It's amazing to watch him. I've uh, Over the winter, I was working on my hall of fame ballot and you start to to pull up some lists mm-hmm. and you start to look at these like all-time career war lists yep. and he already shows up on these things like his career war right now i want to say is probably like 35th or something all time wow. for his career and it, it's, it's amazing what he's done it's uh it's really you try not to uh, take it for granted and kind of sit back every once in a while and go wow this guy is like ridiculous so he's making more contact. That's one of the, the bigger changes. Too. Did he make any mechanical adjustments to a swing, or is this just more of him maturing as a player, you know, recognizing pitches even better? It seems like I know, I know he, he's you know, 27, 28. That's, that's your, uh, your physical peak uh, as, as a player as well. Um, but it's, just, it's so hard to, to imagine him getting better because he is at such a high level. So that's, uh, you know, it's crazy that he's, these little adjustments now can make him even better. Yeah, you know, I asked him that in spring training, like when we noticed the strikeout thing, and I said, like, have you, is that like been a point of emphasis for you? Have you done anything different? He's like, no, just doing the same thing I always did, just getting better at it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, one of the one of the issues, or I say issues, but one of the thinner areas, uh, you even mentioned this earlier, of the uh, the Angels is the pitching. Uh, we got probables coming up versus the Yankees of uh, Andrew Heaney, Richards, and then a TBD right now. It doesn't look like we're going to see Otani. 
But what is the uh, how, how have these guys panned out? I know we're coming off of some injuries. Garrett Richards flashed really early um, and has had a from what I've seen a good season. But he's a guy that they, I know they had a lot of problems for early on. Yeah, they've got uh, basically they have Garrett Richards, who has proven that he can be a good big league starter over 30 starts when he's healthy. Mm-hmm. After that, Heaney, Skaggs, um, <clears throat> Matt Shoemaker, who's injured right now, uh, all these guys are guys that have been good and have also had a lot of trouble. So the Angels are just kind of hoping that you know a couple of them finally put it together and can be good pitchers for a whole season. And, you know, they all have the talent to do it. They just haven't been able to do it so far. Tyler Skaggs, who's probably going to be that TBD over the weekend, uh, he pitched seven shutout innings against the Astros Monday night. That was probably one of his best games ever. And I think the Angels feel like, you know, boy, if they could get that and they could bottle that and throw that out there, you know, every five days, they, they might have something. Do they have any adjustments, or are these guys? I mean, there. It seems like with the addition of Otani, it's almost like a hybrid six-man rotation, right? Because there's an extra day off in there. Is there any? You know, are you seeing any problems with that? With the, how these guys are throwing? You know how it works. Basically, is it's basically a regular five-man rotation, but Otani pitches once a week. So it's like everybody gets an extra day mm-hmm. when Otani pitches. So sometimes you'll have. Uh, you know, Otani will pitch on six days rest, and the same other guy will pitch twice in between starts. Got it. Just because the other guys are mostly going on four days rest, sometimes five. He's pretty much going on six. So it's like you take the other five, string them together like a normal five-man rotation, but then you stick an Otani day in there every day, every week. And so, I, I mean, even when you're, I mean, you're looking at five-man rotations. We had this discussion a couple of weeks ago as well about how five-man rotations and the days off. Um, it's kind of changed in baseball now because of, uh, well, one, there, there are more days off. Um, and it seems like th- throughout the season, you know, you'll get a, a, a very, a, a good amount of weeks with one day off. And whenever there's a day off in a season, you have an extra day rest for these guys. So these guys are working on a little bit more of a, of a, of a schedule that's longer for them. And I guess throwing in a guy like that, the Yankees have dealt with that with Tanaka because, you know, the numbers with Tanaka have been better when he has more rests. So I know Girardi used to try to get that extra day if he could. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting because a guy like Heaney, who's coming back from what Tommy John last year, right? He, or 2016, he's, he's, uh, you know, making that adjustment, getting back into a, to a flow seems to be, you know, one of those important things to have a bounce back. Yeah. I mean, they, they basically felt like to go with a six man rotation, all their starters have had injury problems and they felt like they could all use the extra day. Um, but they're not mostly they're keeping five starters on the roster at once. So because of the off days and they kind of cycled them up and down through triple a. So they're not having the other starters go on like six or seven days rest, which you could have if you had a true six man rotation. So they basically got five starters on the roster at a time and you know, it's like there's an off day and then there's Otani who's like another off day and they just kind of keep cycling them around. Uh, they've used nine starters already this year. And, uh, right now three of those are injured. One of them is about to come back maybe in in a month or so. Um, and they're just going to kind of keep shuffling them up and down. It's going to be like a crazy all year. You're, you're never really going to be able to look too far ahead to see who's starting, 
But, uh, you know, they, they feel like as long as they tell each pitcher when his next start is going to be just after his last start, it doesn't matter if it's on four days rest, five days rest, they have a, a schedule for that. And the only problem is if you, you know, on Sunday you tell a guy he's going to start on Saturday and then you change it and tell him he's starting Friday. That's kind of the problem. But as long as you tell him when he's going to start enough in advance, then it should be no problem if it bounces back and forth between four and five days rest. All right, Jeff. Well, hey, I appreciate you giving us a, a whole a lot of insight on the team. I'm looking forward to the series. It's going to be it's going to be fun seeing uh, the, the kind of new look Angels with with uh, Otani at the plate. Hopefully, we get to see him. Um, and then I know you guys are coming to New York uh, at the end of May as well. So hopefully, at one point, we get to see him pitch. That would be something I know a lot of Yankee fans would would enjoy. Um, if you're looking to follow Jeff on Twitter, he's at Jeff Fletcher O C R. Jeff, thanks again. Really appreciate you taking the time. Sure. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again guys for your support. Really appreciate it and go Yankees. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.